0: Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan yui and I want to welcome you to podcast number 120. Uh, today is an exciting day because we're recording podcasts. That's always an exciting day for me today. Uh, but I have a really exciting guest that I'm really um, eager to share with you. Uh, I've learned a little bit about him through some of the the journey that he's shared through Strong to, Strong to the Finish, and I'll link that website in the notes. But uh, my sister uh, and some friends of mine recently moved to Jackson. Wyoming. And I I say recently because it feels like it was recent, but actually wasn't too too long ago. Uh, And they've since joined up with uh, Tribe Jackson Hole, which um, Brian Hunter is the lead pastor there. And he has an amazing story uh, kind of from the beginning of his life all the way to current. And I'm really intrigued uh, to kind of hear his thoughts on his story and also share that story with you. And so with that, Brian, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself,
1: and then we'll, we'll jump right into this. That sounds great. Thanks, Sam, for having me. My name is Brian Hunter. Uh, I live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. If you've ever been to Jackson Hole, you know what it is uh, to, to be able to live here and play here. I'm super fortunate to be able to do life and raise a family here in Jackson Hole, and I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's absolutely beautiful out there. I've been able to, to come out there a couple times. Um, so I definitely have a little bit of location envy, but, uh, <laughs> let's get a little bit into your story. Cause I know we're going to circle back to Jackson, uh, Eventually, in this, okay. But if you can tell everybody a little bit of kind of about your your beginnings, because I feel like that's uh, integral uh, to your story, and kind of as we get a little bit further into some of the things that you've done recently, uh, why that motivation uh, uh, came
1: about. Awesome. I'd say the the background of my story could be summed up in not playing the cards that you've been dealt in life. I see a lot of people that play the hand of cards that they've been dealt. And perhaps they haven't been dealt a great hand of cards in life, but there's this weird uh, stigma that says, well, you have to play the hand of cards that you've been dealt in life. And that may mean that uh, certain opportunities are just forever closed to you or certain things that maybe were in your heart to do. You just can't do because, well, you don't have the right cards. I feel like my life is the story of a person that had not been dealt a hand of great cards. And at some point in my life, I think probably around my high school years, uh, the, I had this realization like, wait a minute, I don't like this hand of cards. Why don't I get a different hand of cards? And so Evan, your next question probably is, well, what were those cards that you were dealt, uh, you know, starting out in life? that Mm you later changed. Well, um, I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. Both of my parents were us citizens, but they were living and working down in Mexico at the time. And after I was, uh, shortly after I was born, because they just didn't have the same vaccines that, that we did here. I was born in 1974. Uh, I contracted the polio virus. And so I was, uh, I was, I was a Baby with polio. And at two years old, my father left my mom. Uh, I've never had any any kind of significant contact with him at all. My mother moved back up to very rural, rural uh, Texas, lived with my grandmother. So I was raised by a single mom living with my grandmother. Those cards that had been dealt are are not great cards to play. You know, it's not like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. It's not like, I had uh, all kinds of opportunities just laid at my feet. I was raised by a single hardworking mom in very rural Texas. And uh, my mom, when I was in junior high, she said, uh, "We we need to move. And we moved to the mountains of Colorado and we settled in Boulder, Colorado. And seeing those mountains, I think that was probably the catalyst for realizing that I didn't have to play the hand of cards that I had been dealt in life. Seeing those mountains, they were huge. They were towering. They were ominous. They were beautiful. They were captivating. They were alluring. And they called me into the mountains. But I had this hand of cards in my life. Well, I'm just this, you know, little, nothing wrong with Texas. I love Texas. Um, But, you know, just this little country kid from Texas raised by a single mom that You know, uh, through treatments, I was able to slowly overcome polio, but I'm a little boy with polio and I had allergies. These mountains are going to swallow me up. And so my desire for exploring the mountains kind of outweighed the reality of the cards that I was dealt. And it's not like I ignored the fact that I had debilitating allergies or didn't have great uh, financial resources. I just thought to myself, Well, what kind of person would it take in order to be in those mountains, explore those mountains? And I just, over time and through perseverance, in this this uh, unshakable conviction that that I had more to offer myself in this life is what gradually overcame those obstacles that I face starting out in life. And essentially, I traded in that hand of cards and I got to make my own hand of cards that I played in life.
0: I love how we're talking about kind of this self-awareness where we're, we're realizing that just because of our circumstances, just because of the situation that I'm in, that does not define who I am. And I think it was easy for you to kind of grab onto, I have polio. I have a single mother. I don't have a father. Um, to really just sit in that situation and kind of go, woe is me or go, um, you know, what am I here for? There's, there's literally nothing that I can do with these things that I've been given. And I think what the important kind of takeaway from this is, and especially, uh, I I like the, uh, like how the, the mountains kind of play into this because I think Mm -hmm. the mountains were inspiration to you. I think when you have something that's much bigger than you are, uh, and, and much more grandiose, I think you realize how small sometimes your problems really are and how small, uh, you are as a person um, that you know. It's there's there's so much more. There's so much more potential. There's so much more opportunity. There's so much uh, out there that you haven't explored. That you haven't uh, st- like striven striven. That's not a word. Strive yeah. for striven. We'll call it we'll call it a word. Striven. You haven't you haven't striven for. And um, I think that that kind of became a goal for you. You you said that you said, what would it, what, what kind of person would it take to live in these mountains? Right. You started, you started to reconstruct yourself with that as opposed to saying, well, I have polio. I can't, I can't go there. I, you know, I I, I have a single mom. I don't have time. I, I can't do these things. And I think it's really important to recognize That a lot of the things that we talk about in this podcast and and when we're talking about leadership, when we're talking about self-development, when we're talking about all these different things, it's all that battle between your ears. And if you can really grab onto that, I think that you're a prime example of taking that questioning of why not me, why not my circumstances, and actually walking it out through perseverance, which I love that word, that perseverance and endurance to take yourself to that level to where you thrived in the mountain.
1: Yes, uh, I, I would agree with you. And uh, something that you said, Evan, uh, sparked something in my mind about getting a vision of what could be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What could be? What I I, I living in Texas, um, you know, as as a child growing up, because it, it's really not about Texas. But as a child growing up, um, I I never got a picture of what my life could be like. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to just stay with the hand of cards that you've been dealt, but seeing the mountains for the first time and, and seeing how big they were. And uh, I guess I was born with a, an insatiable curiosity to explore. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to explore those mountains But I knew that the boy that I was couldn't do that. I needed to be somebody different. I needed to be different. And it was the mountains that gave me a vision for what my life could be, Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense. And I believe that every single person, so if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about, well, gosh, what is my mountain of inspiration, so to speak. I believe that uh, there is a mountain of inspiration for every single person listening to this podcast and around the world, that if you if you tune in and you're sensitive enough to what is it that really makes you come alive? What is it that thrills you? What is it that, that makes you, gets you out of bed in the morning thinking about it? what is it that when your friends start talking about that particular topic you just you just go on and on and on and on and on uh, that's a those are clues to giving you insight into what your mountain of inspiration could be because when you encounter your mountain of inspiration it has the potential to literally transform your life and here's what i mean by that a mountain of inspiration is something a picture that seems uh, it is a it is a glimpse of a potential future, but at the same time you realize that it's completely unobtainable in your current state. So something's going to have to change. Either your vision, that mountain of inspiration, is going to have to change, or you're going to have to change. And for me, my mountain of inspiration was seeing those flat irons uh, rising above Chautauqua Park in Boulder, Colorado, and thinking, I want to be the kind of person that can. Explore and move through those mountains and and they were a catalyst of transformation in my life.
0: I love that quote. Something has to change. You're seeing that glimpse of what could be, and you're recognizing that the tools that you have today are not going to get you there. Then you have this this responsibility to decide. That's where your choice comes in. Do I start striving for and reaching out and trying to uh, uh, get the tools that I need? Or do I stay in my current situation and just kind of embrace it? And and one of the things that you said is something that I really try to connect the the listeners to as much as possible. Uh, And you said, when you saw the mountains, you came alive. And wow. I think that that's tapping into your purpose. Now, your purpose wasn't necessarily to climb the mountains all the time, right. but it was to be near the mountains. And then the mountains ended up kind of drawing you closer to kind of your next step or whatever your next uh, challenge was or your mountain of inspiration. But I think those are some real key terms that when you're talking to people or when you're thinking into your current situation and you're saying, you know, I, I just don't know what my next step is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know, you know, from a leadership standpoint, I've gotten to this point, but I feel like I'm stuck. And I think that's, uh, that's a that's a good place to be because now you're in a place where you're kind of recognizing that uh, the next steps are necessary, so you can be actively seeking right. those and use those clues of what's giving you life, what's 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 challenging you, what's what you're you're aspiring towards. Uh, you be drawn to those things because that's what's going to help take those next steps to your next destination, to your next uh, position, to your next role of leadership, whatever that may be.
1: I th- I think that's great uh, there's something, uh, that I see in the generation coming up behind me that, uh, you know, if we, if we want to call them millennials, um, uh, that, that sometimes they get a bad rep rap of, you know, they're, they're, they're always jumping from one thing to the next commitments, difficult for them. Um, uh, you know, there, there's, comments about work ethic and and things like that. And, and I see the seed of greatness in the generation that is coming up behind me. I'm 45 years old. Uh, I I think I would technically be a Gen Xer. Um, (laughs) But I see, I see greatness in, in seed form of the generation coming up behind me, that there is a tremendous sense of purpose that has been placed within this generation and the restlessness that we observe is really comes out of this insatiable hunger for meaning purpose and fulfillment Mm -hmm. and and the generation that i see coming up uh there there's they have access to ubiquitous amounts of information Mm -hmm. and technology and those things, i it's my personal conviction, those things have have uh, are at a crossroads in the history of the world uh, for this generation to perfectly utilize. It's not for them to cons- consume, just consume, being lost on Pinterest or Instagram, but it is to inspire them and to connect them to other people so that collectively as a generation, they can find their purpose. Mm-hmm and make an impact in this world.
0: Yeah, I think that's the exciting thing is there is no shortage of inspiration these days. I think now it's going down to that question of w- something's going to have to change. Do I continue to scroll through Pinterest and Instagram yeah. and and just see all these amazing things or do I go out there and experience them? Do I become the kind of person that can exist in that kind of environment? And I think that's kind of where we start jumping into or, or working our way into the next steps. And So uh, if you don't mind getting real nitty gritty mm-hmm. with me for a second, uh, sure. what were your next steps? What, what what was the thing that you did when you recognize, hey, I've had, you know, I've overcome polio. I have a single mom. I'm living in the mountains now, and I want to go into the mountains. What were some of the next questions that you were asking yourself, or what was some of the next things that you did to to kind of logically get to that next direction that hopefully will kind of show people what next steps can look like?
1: That's great. That's great. Uh, so I would say uh, there are two main ingredients: uh, passion and purpose, and. You listen to one co- one podcast and they say, um, you know, find your purpose—that thing that that you are created to do—and that will unlock your passion. Then you listen to another podcast that says, "Hey, pursue your passion," <laughs> and and as you're doing things that you just love, that you feel make you come alive, then in that you will find your purpose. So, is it is it po- passion follows purpose, or is it purpose follows passion? My answer is yes. <laughs> go for it go for it i think you 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 can't get the cart before the horse in this particular case however whether it's it's discovering your purpose uh and that comes through uh understanding yourself and how you were made and looking at your core values and what's important to you um or if it's if it's finding your passion first and throwing yourself into something whole, wholeheartedly, and then discovering, wait a minute, here's why I love this so much. It's because I'm good at it. And I think I was actually made to do this. So what are those next steps? Once, once you've, once you've discovered either your path, your purpose or your passion. And I say, it's kind of like the left foot and the right foot. How do you go from point A to point B? Well, you need purpose and passion. You need a left foot and a right foot. And at this point, uh, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I have this dream for starting a a company. I have this dream for launching my own business. Oh man, I'm actually really good at, at this kind of thing. And I could see practically where it, it could go. Wow. There's when the rubber meets the road is, is when you actually begin taking steps towards um, that passion or that purpose. Mm -hmm. And here are, I would say the first easiest step that you can take is do all the free stuff first. Mm. So let's say that, let's say that uh, your passion, um, you love, you, you, you love graphic design. And you've downloaded Photoshop, and you've got Adobe Premiere, and this, that, and the other, and, and uh, casually as a hobby, you're 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 doing things for yourself or for your friends, school projects, you know, whatever. Uh, but you really want to take it to the next level. The next step is not to enroll in the university. The next step is is not to go out and buy you know, $5,000 computer system. The next step is to do all the free stuff first. Mm -hmm. The next step is it doesn't cost anything to get online and research. Well, what are the top schools in my area or around the country that are doing what I want to do? Research, making phone calls. I think uh, people get this big idea in their mind and then they quickly get bogged down because they don't know where to start or they think of how much it will cost to pull off this idea. And I always tell people, do the free stuff first, investigate it, talk to people, Um, uh, put any, it doesn't cost anything to send an email to uh, to a a school professor or to a company that let's say you really want to work at a, you know, at a tech company. Um, It might take a little bit of, uh, elbow grease and research, but you'll be able to find somebody, do all the free stuff first. That'll help you to count the cost for what's this really going to involve. And then from there, there are next steps that follow, but your, your vision will be refined as you do all the free stuff first.
0: I think that's some great advice. And I'm I'm going to ask you a deeper question here in a minute, but I want to set it up a little bit. So, okay. um, you know, looking at, looking at, uh, you know, f- you know, finding what you're passionate about, being inspired by the mountains, uh, you know, what what kind of person does that take? That, I, I think that, you know, we've kind of uh, explored that part of it. And I feel like, um, I feel like not to, not to discount that at all, but I feel like that's something that like, you know, a lot of people could figure out. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people could be like, okay, well, I'm going to hang around some guides and, you know, I'm going to go on these trips and then eventually I'm going to volunteer. That one's, uh, you know, that one's solvable. Let, yes. Let, Think. Let's think big. Let's think really big. Like, what's something really crazy that someone could potentially do? That, like, maybe just, you know, is is an audacious goal. Something like, I don't know, running across Mongolia or something ridiculous like that. You know, who who would do something like that? First of all, and second of all, um, where do you even start with something like that?
1: Does, does Does this ring true to you at all? Uh, see, you're you're setting me up for a great question. And for the audience that doesn't know, uh, in 2013, uh, I, along with my family, a support crew, set out to run 1,500 miles across the entire country of Mongolia. That was a a a big, scary out there uh, dream, and. I'll tell you just a little bit about the, the genesis of this dream. And it was really a combination of, of two things. And it was, it was passion and purpose combined. So uh, I was at the time, let's see, I was at the time I was 37 years old. Uh, I was living with my family in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was uh, on staff uh, of a, of a large church there and just doing my thing. And I watched this documentary film about two guys that ride their motorcycles all the way around the world. And I thought, "Wow, that, that, that's, that's pretty cool. That's exciting. And when they got to the country of Mongolia, it was, uh, without a doubt, the most arduous and difficult part of their entire odyssey around the world. And something about Mongolia just captivated my attention. The place is wild, remote, rugged, inhospitable. And that just, that just began to ignite something in me. And this little thought popped in my head, Hey, it would be cool to do a trail run in Mongolia. Now, mind you, I'm not much of a runner. I'm an adventurer. I love going on adventures, rock climbing, mountain biking, skiing, and, and I had done some running, but you know, I certainly wouldn't think of myself as a runner, but this thought popped into my head, Hey, it would be cool to do a trail run in Mongolia. Well, the next thought that popped into my head was, well, if you're going to do a trail run in Mongolia, you might as well run across the entire country of Mongolia. So this like, is a this is a thought. This was a thought. A thought this just popped thought. into my mind. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't sitting around thinking like, hmm, what country should I run across? I mean, really, in a way, I, I say that that Mongolia found me. I didn't find Mongolia, and. And so I that that thought just kind of stewed around for for a long time. And and it was when I fight it was actually, Evan, about two years later, the thought would bubble up and I would just press it down. Like that's that's ridiculous. I don't have the cards to play to be able to do something like that. That's just ridiculous. I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. But the thought would come bubbling back up and I would chew on it for a couple of days, maybe even think about it for a week or two, but then just push it back down. But after two years of not being able to escape this nagging sense or feeling of of going to Mongolia, I couldn't shake it. I actually put my own principle into practice and I said, well, maybe I should do the free stuff first. Mm -hmm. And I started doing some research on Mongolia. So here's what I didn't do. I didn't go out and buy running shoes. I didn't buy a plane ticket to Mongolia. Uh, I didn't spend money to start learning the Mongolian language. I didn't take language lessons. I did the free stuff first. And no sooner did I start doing the free stuff by just doing some research. Things like, uh, hey, Google, where in the world is Mongolia? Hey, Google. Hey, Google. Uh, what's the population of Mongolia? I just started looking these things up, and as soon as I started doing even just a little bit of preliminary research, I discovered that there are thousands of orphaned and vulnerable children living in the capital city, and they they don't have any type of federal, or really any faith-based organizations or agencies to help these children, and so as soon as I read about these children. I thought, Oh my goodness. Well, now my, my passion of exploration and this insatiable desire to, to go to Mongolia, my passion gets married with purpose. Mm -hmm. I want to do something to help these children. And, and I started thinking about, well, well, what could I, what could I do? I looked at the cards in my hand and I looked at all the cards that I didn't have. I'm not wealthy. So I can't just play that card. I'm not, uh, I don't have any kind of political influence to change laws to help these children. So I can't play that card. I just looked at, instead of looking at the cards in my hand that I, that I did have, I was just thinking about, well, I don't have this card. I don't have this card, but then one card in, in the, in my hand that I had was, well, I could run, and I felt like uh, the God of the Bible whispered to my heart and said, well, I can use that. You play play that card. Hmm. And so that was the genesis for uh, t- about 16 months later um, with my family as support crew traveling to Mongolia and running from the far western uh, town of Ulgi to the far eastern border, past the town of trobosan uh in mongolia in
2: 2013
0: Hmm. well uh that was just a random thought that i threw out there that's kind of actually had some connection to that but no i'm glad you shared that and i I think that um you know if, if we if if the listeners can kind of dive deeper into your story and kind of see kind of the motivation behind that. I, I think you'll see just where that passion really kind of comes from. And I, I feel like it goes all the way back to the beginning of your story. Like you were fatherless. You kind of felt like you could empathize with these kids in these situations, you, you know, they're poor, they're uh, you know, the, I'm sure they've had diseases and they, they yeah. just, they've been dealt like this, this horrible hand. And, uh, you know, kind of through your growth as a, as a person and growth as a leader, you recognize that, you know, what are some attributes of a leader? What are, what are some attributes of, 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 of a person that is making a difference? And I think one of those is being a father to the fatherless and, and having that opportunity to say, you know what, I, I don't necessarily know the exact way to do this. But this is a fantastic way for me to surrender the things that I do have and see what, what God can do with them. And I think that, you know, looking at the journey that you took in this and, and looking at kind of the scope of everything that you've had, when we're, especially when we're talking about. You know the the things that 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 we do have in our lives part of it is stripping away the old self and becoming who we were created to be but i think in the same sense when we are talking about some of the things that we do have at our disposal it's it's recognizing that no matter what the tools are that those can be used and it's, it's to not look at them and say i can't do this because of these things but instead i'm willing to use these things and see what happens next. And I think that, you know, when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about, you know, who we are as, as a person, I think that at some point you have to recognize that you just cannot do everything on your own. You have limitations and those limitations make sometimes those conquests and those mountains that we're able to climb that much more uh, valuable to us because we've had to strive, we've had to sacrifice, and we've had to really push to, to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And so I think it's really cool to kind of look at all of these different experiences that you've had and how that's, they've all come together to essentially become a platform for you um, Mm -hmm. of, of, of your story and the, and the leadership journey that you've been on. But I do want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the role of surrender in all of this, because I feel like, um, at some point you kind of had to say, I'm just. I'm going to put all the cards on the table, and I'm going to walk away and just say, use me. Use what I have here. I'm willing to use even what I think is not the most valuable hand. I'm mm-hmm. willing to use it and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, every person, even though you might have some real lame cards that have been dealt to you, uh, I think that one of the amazing things about God is he's always— he has always slipped one card in your hand that you might have even overlooked or thought, well, what good could I do with this one card? But that one card, if it's leveraged properly, can be used to change your entire hand, to put new cards in your hand. I didn't even know if there's a card game that does that. I, I don't want to get too far off in the weeds on the card game analogy, but. Uh, when you take your life and put it in the hands of, you take your ordinary life and put it in the hands of an extraordinary God. Extraordinary things can happen.
0: Well, I I, I think I can I think I can continue on in this uh, strain of thought. I think it's the wild. Okay. Card. I think oh, I there think, it is. I think ultimately, when you're playing a game, you have you know value. The every card has its own value. But uh, you know, I've I've played different games before where deuces are wild. Now a two, not the most exciting card that you potentially are going to have. But in when the rules change, or when when you're all kind of on the collective thing, and now yeah. all of a sudden those twos have value. Those become a coveted thing, and they can be used more powerfully when combined with cards of value. So I think that That's you know. I I think that we we can kind of stay on this uh, strain of it because I think that ultimately your value is maybe predefined, but there's a multiplier there, there there is a way to uh, strive towards that next thing and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. Some of that can be through mentorship. Some of that can be through the people that you surround yourself with. Some of that can be through hard work. Some of that Mm -hmm. can be through uh, relationships that you have. Uh, I think when you take those free things that you start with and you start s- taking those steps and moving in that direction, it doesn't necessarily matter what you have when you start the race. It's how you finish the race. And when you finish that race and you may have accomplished that goal or you've, you've realized the sacrifice, mm-hmm. that just makes – the accomplishment that much more, uh, valuable to you.
1: That's right. That's right. This could be, this could be the, the golden nugget few moments of the entire podcast, because I have a strong personal conviction that every single person has at least one wild card that they've been dealt. Maybe you look at the rest of the cards in your hands and, and, You know, there are lots of people in this world that would love to show you their hand of cards. Look how much money I make. Look at all the traveling I'm doing. Look how I've reached my dream and I've retired at 25 years old, which what that's ridiculous. You know, look at me, look at and and we kind of get this card envy. It's really easy for, I believe, this next generation coming up to have card envy. Mm -hmm. And they look at all the cards that they don't have in their hand or they look at the cards that other people are, are showing them through the accomplishments of their carefully crafted social media life. But if you look at the cards in your hand, I believe that every single person has at least one wild card that they have been dealt. And when you leverage that wild card, amazing things can happen.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to kind of talk a little bit about Mongolia in the sense of uh, here and now, because uh, you went there in uh, 2013, you ran across Mongolia, uh, you accomplished the 1500 mile run. um, And I'm pretty sure that was grueling (laughs) to say the least. least. uh, uh, Talk a little bit about the post run. So what, what happened as a result of that? And then uh, you just recently got back from Mongolia, Mongolia. What have some of the results been?
1: Oh, that's great. So the the plan came together, the the marriage of purpose and passion, to use running as a platform to raise money and awareness for orphaned and vulnerable children living in the capital city. And uh, through the course of the run and thereafter, we've raised uh, to date, I I believe, uh, over $50,000 to go towards uh, various organizations that are working to rescue children um, out of a destitute lifestyle, and/or we've partnered with a, a, a faith-based Christian orphanage in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar that we support and do and do projects with. And so, um, we 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 set a world record uh, when I you know touch the border uh, with China on the eastern side of Mongolia. Uh, We raised money for these children, and it's been about six years, but like you just mentioned, I recently returned from a trip to Mongolia, and uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, I'm the lead pastor of Tribe here in Jackson, Wyoming, and we took a team of people to Mongolia uh, to Re-establish connections and make contact, and uh, expose people to different cultures. and And uh, the culture of Mongolia is very, 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 very different than anything here in the United States. And oh, yeah. also to 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 see what are some of the fruits of uh, of our labor. And it was so fulfilling and rewarding to see the money that we had raised being uh, have the money that we raised. For it to go to amazing causes, giving these children that were you know, basically like little kids, now they're teenagers, uh, an opportunity to play their wild card and trade in cards that might have been dealt with them to give them a better hand of cards in life. And so it was really fulfilling and rewarding to go back to Mongolia after having been there in 2013 with our family.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to to, to share your story. And, And first of all, you know, kind of being willing to tap into that that purpose and that passion, because I I think a lot of times we hear about these inspiring stories, but it takes a long time and I'm a thinker. So it takes a long time for me to kind of step into kind of that next thing. Like I I do a lot of the free stuff. I do all the free stuff. Right. And then sometimes I stop at the free stuff, but I I think it's encouraging to know. And that's when, you know, I've had the honor of, of talking to a lot of people that have done some of these audacious goals. And I think the cool thing about it is for the most part, the bulk of the people that I talk to, th- there's a purpose behind it, and I think that's what helps fuel that that um, that journey to get there. Because I think if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a vision for what you're doing, maybe you want to accomplish something, but you're doing it for something greater than yourself. I feel like that's becomes that that catalyst or that wild card that that we're that we're using in these situations to help you accomplish that, or if anything, make it more. Um, uh, not easier, but make it more doable because, um, you, you have this external force now, um, that's, that's kind of helping propel you. So it's maybe potentially giving you that extra energy or kind of pushing yourself beyond what you think is possible. And I think when people really understand that, you know, the limits that they've imposed on themselves are maybe, uh, not even 40% of what you're capable of, sure. there's a, there's a true awakening in your mind. Um, I mean, you were running 30 days or 30 miles a day and you really yeah. hadn't r- run before. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk a little bit about that. W- when was that kind of aha moment for you when you recognized that you're, that you were actually able to do this? Because I, I don't even know if I drive 30 miles in a day.
1: <laughs> uh, I think, uh the realization began to sink in uh about 3 days after i had finished the run uh <laughs> even even waking up on the last day uh we we got there in july we ran all of july august and into september on that frosty morning in september realizing only had 10 miles to run before reaching the proverbial finish line wow i woke up thinking can I can I even do this today? I was so sore, I was so tired. I was so exhausted. There was the, let me just tell you, there was no chariots of fire moment where my feet just lifted off the dusty two track and I just kind of glided along in some sort of euphoric trail runners high. Nope. I was waiting <laughs> for it. Nope. 50 uh 50 two days of running and 57 consecutive marathons. I never once got it. But I would wake up in the morning and I would say, if I can stand up, I can walk.
2: Mm-hmm. And if
1: I can walk, then maybe just maybe I can run today. And I felt that at the very last day as well as I got up and ran those final 10 miles. And uh afterwards, only afterwards, after I so to speak, pulled it off. Did I realize? Wow, I actually pulled it off. Does that mean that I ran every day with doubt? No, uh, it just meant that I ran every day with hope. Hmm. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I, I hope like, I can do this. <laughs> I like what I just said. Hope I had a, I had a, I had a belief that that uh, what I was doing was worthwhile and. Um, you know, we talk about uh, passion and purpose, do the free stuff next. And then I would say as a third step, you need to count the cost. And here's how I counted the cost as I was preparing for Mongolia. And again, this step is free. I would practice, um, uh, you know, uh, athletes use this technique called visualization, you know, the NBA player imagines, imagines and sees himself with his eyes closed sink in three pointers. But it's an it's a important skill that I believe is underutilized in every area, not just for athletes. But uh, I would visualize myself going and preparing to go to Mongolia. What did that look like? How did I feel? What sort of questions did I have? What did I find myself? Needing. Uh, um, uh, and then i would I would imagine what it would be like to accomplish it. How would I feel? What would that moment be like? I tried to picture the location. I tried to picture what I looked like. I tried to picture what the ground would look like. I tried to picture how I would feel. Um, what would be the expressions of on the faces of the people around me when I finished. And then I visualized myself not taking further steps towards this goal. And I tried to put myself, well, how would I emotionally feel if I just walked away from this project? Would I feel satisfied? Would I feel relieved? Um, Of course, I'd have more time and my feet probably wouldn't hurt as bad. But imagining not doing it was part of the motivation for continuing to do it because I couldn't imagine myself at least trying to, to take steps towards this goal. And I learned this skill to tie it back into the mountains. I would go on these backpacking trips or climbing trips. And when I was packing up for this trip, I would picture myself uh, hiking the next morning. Okay. So you're, you're setting out at the trailhead to go climb this mountain. What are you wearing? And I'd be like, okay, boots and socks and my pants. Okay. Do I have that stuff packed? Okay. What am I, when I look around, what do I see? Oh, it's dark. Why is it dark? Because I don't have my headlamp. Did you pack your headlamp? Oh, okay. I better pack my headlamp. But this technique of visualization can be a very powerful tool to help a person count the cost. Mm. And then, because I'm kind of on a roll here, I'll just keep going. The <laughs> next, that that third step, I would say there comes a time when you, you've got your purpose and your passion. You're beginning to develop that. You are doing the free stuff first to research it you're using the technique of visualization while you're counting the cost and imagining what would it be like if i succeed what would it be like if i fail what would it be like if i never attempted it and then the third the third ingredient i would say is coming to a point where you need to put your yes on the table hmm. put your yes on the table hmm. i might not have done all of the research that I possibly can, cause there's some things that I don't know. Uh, I, I, I might not know exactly how I'm going to pull this off, but I've done, I've got this passion. I've got this purpose. I've done the free stuff. I've researched it. I visualize myself and I cannot imagine me at least attempting this, mm. but then there comes a point, a moment in time where you need to put your yes on the table and say, I'm going to give it everything I've got, even though I might not have it figured out.
0: Well, when we're talking about counting the cost and and saying, you know, putting that yes out there, one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about that was weighing the cost of the pain of sacrifice versus the pain of regret. And I think when you're looking at the 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 size of the task that was in front of you, you you were count, you knew that it was going to be painful you knew that when you got to day 30 40 <laughs> 50 that you know you were you were hanging on to hope at that point just to just to finish that thing yeah but I, I think on the other side of it was you had that that nagging sense that you were talking about that i would call it a holy unrest uh inside of you yeah. that's basically just just urging you and and moving you in that direction to the point where you did and were willing to put that yes on the table because when you put the yes on the table I think there was peace there I think there was inspiration there I think there was energy there and I think that's when again those are some clues when you're really tapping into dialing into your purpose and you're like you know this is possible this is something that you know sounded audacious in the very beginning and now I I feel like I could actually do this and I think that yeah kind of when you start to uh, see what you're truly capable of and you start taking those steps in that direction that the next thing you know the mountain is not as intimidating as it was before it's not as uh, unconquerable as it as it was before uh it's now something that is attainable and that you can start working towards and again you have that hope that you know, if I keep doing what I'm, what I'm doing here, I'm visualizing this. I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing to kind of go through the steps to get there. That I can do this to the point where you can accomplish it.
1: That that's a that's a great point. Uh, I I don't know if you know this or not. I think you did know this, Evan. But uh, when I came back, uh, I wrote a book. It's called Strong to the Finish. Uh, and one of the things that I talk about in the book. I think it's even a, a whole chapter towards the beginning. Is the way that God likes to deal with us in mm-hmm. in terms of putting our yes on the table. So here's what happened, um, and this didn't physically happen, but but it it played out in my mind's eye, if that makes sense. So in my mind's eye, God uh, sits across the table from my wife Lissa and I, and he has this. Mm-hmm. Contract with this large stack of papers, and like if you've ever bought a house or sold a house, or <laughs> uh, you know, or, or or like the iTunes agreement, you have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll before you get to you know the bottom. The signature page is always on the bottom page, the signature or the digital signature is always after you you know you've scrolled and scrolled to the bottom. I accept the terms, but I feel like God said, "Here's a contract." He slid it across the table to us the signature page was actually on top of the stack of all the papers. And it simply said, across Mongolia in 2013, running to raise money and awareness for orphan and vulnerable children. Then there were two places to sign. He had signed on one signature and he was waiting for me to sign. This is what I mean by putting my yes on the table. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that underneath that signature page, are all the terms and conditions? How much is this not physically going to cost me? But what kind of emotional toll is this going to be? Um, what is this going to do for my future? How? What are all the details, the nuts and bolts, really the the terms and conditions of the whole thing? Mm. And when he slid it across from me, I don't know if you can picture this this scenario playing out, but uh, if if you if you were like me, first thing I wanted to do is look at all the terms and conditions. <laughs> For example, I didn't know that this was gonna cost me my job. I'd have to step down from my job. Um, I didn't know that I wouldn't have a job when I came back from Mongolia. Um, I didn't know um, uh, the, the difficulty and hardship and toil that we would face while we were, while we were in Mongolia. I didn't know um, the, the, the platform, uh, that this would would create all of those things were in the terms and conditions. God knew that stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't. But the reason why God puts the signature page on the top is because if he put it on the bottom, then we would read through all of it and compare ourselves to what's actually going to play out. And then we would we would sign or not sign based upon what we felt like in our own capacity we could handle or what we could carry out. But then If we signed like, yeah, that's going to be tough, but I think I can do it. And we signed and then we pulled it off. Who would get all the credit and the glory? Well, it would be us. Yeah. But the reason why the signature page is on top with God is number one, he wants us to trust him. Number two, he gets all the credit and all the glory. And then number three, it puts us in a position, like you mentioned earlier, of surrender. Mm -hmm. Here is my yes that I'm putting on the table. I don't know all the, we didn't know what route to take. We didn't know what we were going to do for water. We didn't know how we were going to feed ourselves. We didn't know uh, who would translate. We didn't know any of that stuff, but it required us putting our yes on the table. And that's what, and once we had that, once he had that, yes, then he said, all right, now I'm going to start working out all the details. And sure enough, he did.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Brian, I appreciate you taking the time to share all this with us. There's been so many uh, good nuggets here for us to, to grasp onto. I, I kind of told you in the beginning of this that I was going to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. And I want to give you uh, that moment to to, to sure. speak to that next generation of, of business leaders. They found themselves in this leadership role. Um, they've kind of realized that success is more than just a monetary value. And they're recognizing that they need to do something about it. They need to take those steps. Uh, they need to take the cards that they have, per se, and start using those and being being willing to surrender those, uh, for, you know, a a greater a greater cause and a greater purpose. So what would you say your message is to young business leaders?
1: Go big or go home, (laughs) just dare to dream big. Uh, and then, and then take a chance, give it everything, everything you got. Um, the, the generation This generation grew up on participation medals for getting an award for really just not doing anything. Um, But but life doesn't hand out participation medals. And if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're always going to get what you've always got. The world needs people who will take a chance, put their yes on the table, dare to dream big, and go for it. And uh, as the lead pastor of a church, I conclude every single Sunday sermon by saying, I love you, I believe in you, you got this. And that's what I would say to your listeners. You've got this.
0: Fantastic!
1: Thank you so much uh, for doing that. How do people connect with you?
0: How do they, they find your book? Uh, what are the best that's ways great. to kind of follow along with your story?
1: Uh, let's see here. I'm not super social media savvy, but if you'd like to know more about me, our story, our journey, or our church, uh, a couple of things. If you go to uh, Facebook, you can look for our uh, the our church page, which is uh, tribejh.com. Search that on Facebook. You can also go to the website tribejh.com you can find out about our church. If your listeners are ever coming through Jackson on vacation, come visit us on a Sunday. you can find out service times, all that stuff on the website. Uh, you can also go to strongtothefinish.com that will tell you a little bit more about the run and our ongoing efforts in Mongolia. You can uh, there's a link on that website to buy a copy of the book, You can get a a hard copy for yourself. It's also on Kindle Reader. So on Amazon.com, you could also order that book.
0: Fantastic. Brian, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for saying and and putting your yes on the table and helping the people of Mongolia and obviously helping the people uh, in Jackson, Wyoming. Listeners,
2: remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.